0: I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, September 15th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes, except for this one, which is gonna go a bit longer, Brett.
1: Okay, Jay, I already know the answer to this, but tell the Peak Pals why this episode is going to go just a little bit longer.
0: Well, Peak Pals, we know your time is valuable, which is why we would only go long if we had something really exciting to talk about or someone really exciting to talk to And today we've got just that. Right after this episode, we've got an exclusive interview with Erin O'Toole, the leader of Canada's Conservatives.
1: That's right, we put a call out to all of the federal leaders to introduce themselves to you, our beloved peak pals and Erin O'Toole's campaign was the first to get back to us. We're so excited to have Erin on and talk to him about some of the biggest stories that matter to you, our listeners. But before we do, our loyal peak pals know the drill. A quick and fun summary of the biggest stories in Canadian and global business. So if this is your first time listening, why not give us a shot and listen through the whole thing? But if you are just here for the interview, you can skip through all of this and go right to the seven minute mark to get into the conversation with Aaron O'Toole.
0: Can I skip ahead, Brett? No, Jay, we gotta get through this. This is gonna be the best part. Okay, so it is super exciting and we're excited to have Aaron on. So Brett, what else do we have for Pete today? For our first
1: story, update your iPhones. You're gonna wanna hear this. For our second story, we've got an MA street fight on our hands. And for our last story, will the crypto cowboys be tamed?
0: update your iPhones. For our first story, the Citizen Lab at Brett's alma mater, the University of Toronto, flagged a security flaw in Apple's iOS operating system that forced Apple to push an update. Brett, what did your former professor at your alma mater discover? Well, this is with stuff that movies are made of. According to the Citizen Lab, an Israeli-based cyber
1: group, NSO, developed spyware that would use a maliciously crafted PDF to hack into an unsuspecting victim's iMessage history. In this case, it was used against a Saudi Arabian activist.
0: If this couldn't get any creepier, the spyware can quickly take control of your microphone, listen into your conversations, read all your messages, see your emails and your photos.
1: The exploit was identified at the Citizen Lab at our very own University of Toronto, and it was flagged to Apple. Apple quickly jumped on this and just pushed an update to over 1.65 billion devices.
0: Okay, well, that's pretty scary. (laughs) The number is huge, 1.65 billion devices. If it wasn't obvious, Why should Peak Pals care about this exploit? Because you
1: could be hacked, not Jay because he's an Android user, but you, the iPhone iOS users could be hacked. And now that the exploit is public, expect lots of bad actors to start using this hack. And the only way to prevent you from becoming a victim is through updating your iOS software to the latest version. So go to your system preferences and update that software. For our second story, we've got an M&A street fight on our hands. Bell is vigorously trying to shut down the Rogers and Shaw merger. Jay, what's going on with this battle of the telcos?
0: Okay, so quick catch up. In March, Rogers announced his plan to buy Shaw Communications for a cool $26 billion. This will significantly grow Rogers' presence out west, and they say accelerate their 5G rollout. But it is controversial, Brett. Maybe it's controversial because our country only has, what, like five telcos? This deal would
1: make it four, which, as you can probably imagine, is not the best outcome for consumers or their
0: competitors. Which brings us to Bell. Bell's arguing this deal shouldn't be approved by regulators because if it happened, Rogers and Shaw would control 47% of the English language broadcasting market. And in 2012, regulators stopped Bell from acquiring Astral Media basically for the same reason. So, Brett, what's the takeaway for Peak Pals of this super telco merger?
1: Like I said before, this mega merger could have huge consequences for consumers like you and me. And with Canadians already paying some of the highest phone and internet rates in the world, it's definitely a story that you want to keep an eye on.
0: And for our last story, another story to keep your eye on, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissioner Chair Gary Gensler spoke to lawmakers this week regarding cryptocurrency regulation. Brett, what background do Peak Pals need to have on the SEC and cryptocurrency?
1: If you've been paying attention to cryptocurrencies at all over the past few years, you'll probably have heard that regulation of the new digital asset class is a bit of a wild west. The main issue is whether tokens, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and even Dogecoin, if they're securities like stocks or if they're commodities. The other issue is that a bunch of cryptocurrency platforms are now offering banking-like services, including lending, but they exist outside
0: of the SEC's purview. And the SEC doesn't much like that. So the cryptocurrency world is on edge, waiting to hear what Commissioner Gensler will tell lawmakers And the result. Well, not that much. All we know now is that the SEC believes big crypto exchanges are selling securities, and they plan to crack down on these exchanges soon, and perhaps without a warning shot. So, Brett, why do Commissioner Gensler's remarks matter so much?
1: While the remarks didn't provide as much clarity as the markets would have hoped, Gensler's remarks are another reminder that it's only a matter of time before the government cracks down on crypto and investors should be prepared.
0: Okay, Brett, that was a great episode, but you know what would make it even better. I don't know, Jay, maybe an interview with one of the leaders
1: of Canada's big federal parties
0: that's exactly what i was about to say but before we do get to it if you like that quick rundown of the day's business news we'd love if you subscribe to the peak daily on whatever app you're listening on and help us cement our position as the number one rated and only daily canadian business podcast
1: okay so without further ado our interview with Aaron O'Toole. here you go so for our first question you know, any Canadian young professional knows how tough it is to buy a home these days, and it almost feels like home ownership is slipping away from a lot of us. What can the federal government actually do to make home ownership more achievable for our generation?
2: Uh, no, you know, I, I like the way you frame that because the risk is so severe that I've often said there's a generation being priced out of the dream of home ownership, which used to be a sort of a, an essential element of a strong middle class in Canada. So we put forward in Canada's recovery plan our Campaign document, the most comprehensive set of federal initiatives to play our role to tackle the housing crisis. First, we're going to have an ambitious agenda to build a million units in the next three years. That's about 300,000 more than, than normal. And to do that, because it's municipal, provincial, and federal, we're going to free up about 15% of Crown holdings to make sure that we're helping with supply. We're going to accelerate uh, the building of purpose-driven rental housing by incentivizing through tax credit uh, here in Canada, and through uh, through directing foreign money into that part of our real estate market and banning it from residential purchases by non-residents. This is something that. We've been pushing over the last year in Parliament. Justin Trudeau has been fighting us, uh, voting against our measures to to ban foreign purchases by non-residents, especially in the lower mainland of B.C., where I am right now. That has been a major problem. We're also, for first-time homebuyers, going to extend the mortgage term so that we get an interest rate lock-in, not for three, four, or five years, but up to seven to ten, to give more certainty and make make sure that the first-time home buyer programs don't exclude whole swaths of the country from eligibility, which Justin Trudeau's uh, approach has done. And and finally, we're going to tie federal investment in infrastructure to density requirements. So one of the things we heard from builders and from um, folks working on the, the housing crisis across the country is uh, uh, things aren't getting built quick enough. There's There's not enough you know, action being put to this at the municipal level. So we're actually going to tie federal infrastructure spending to density and to getting things built. So that uh, for transit, for example, if we're going to make a one-third commitment to paying for the for the expansion of the GTA pr- Program for for Metro Links or the SkyTrain expansion here in the, in the GVR, our money is going to be contingent on deliverable density and. For, for building. So, in our plan, it's a very com- comprehensive set of policies. Our housing shadow minister, Brad Biss, is a millennial MP from, from British Columbia. And this is an important issue for us, and I think the Conservatives have the smartest plan to play the federal role needed in, in housing.
1: I think forward to this entire discussion around housing and the ability of our generations to afford housing is the economy. I think having a strong economy is obviously vital to uh, all of us being able to work towards pulling a better life, break for ourselves. We think the biggest challenge and opportunity is facing the Canadian economy right now, especially as we come out of the pandemic.
2: Yeah, you're right. A strong economy is critical, especially for a younger generation that may be facing this housing crisis, carrying student debt. We've seen far too much sort of contract-driven work uh, less opportunity for that generation. So we want to see an economic recovery. I often say, in all sectors and all regions of the country. And we've seen Mr. Trudeau's approach, whether to to natural resources, whether to manufacturing, whether to trade, lead to investment leaving Canada, leading to more startups scaling up in the United States or selling to the United States, as opposed to scaling up here and growing. Growing size, growing capacity, growing wealth. So we have a series of policies, everything from uh, taking a much more serious approach with respect to China and their actions on steel, and aluminum, those most sort of commodities. Um, having a, a, a much more fair approach to approach to natural resources, including energy. But we launched a pretty ambitious innovation policy that is going to try and get more hoot uh, suites. You know, more more. Um, Shopify more people not just starting up in Canada, scaling up in Canada. So the use of flow-through shares uh, to encourage private sector investment into the area, the idea of a patent box to make sure that we allow people to have a preferential rate if they develop their intellectual property developed here, if they, if they use it here. Um, we've worked with Canadian Council of Innovators. We've worked with Chambers of Commerce to come up with, I think, the most ambitious set of policies to crank up our economy and the first pillar of our five pillar recovery plan is a goal of a million jobs created in one year and upward pressure on wages as a result of that and we backfilled it with very substantive policy that I think will really open up the field for for this generation to have more opportunity to stay here, pursue the, the level of career they want and to get to, to, to develop wealth and, and crack the housing market, all these things that we don't want this generation giving
1: up on. I think it's really vital on in the innovation economy that we do what we can to encourage entrepreneurship and retain our top talent. As we kind of look westwards down the country, I think there's a lot of people very concerned about what's happening to the energy industry in this country. You know, what do you think, what do you, where do you see energy policy going in this country in the next 20 to 30 years?
2: I see us being ESG leaders, and your readers would know how environmental social governance is becoming the touchstone for the capital markets, for insurers, and our energy players, our natural resource sector, are leaders in this area, and I think I want to see more ambition. I want it to be ESGI, I call it, uh, Environmental Social Governance and Indigenous Participation. And more net zero by 2050 ambition with our energy producers. And the good thing is they are moving in that direction. And I think that can distinguish us from many other players. So I want to rebalance global trade with our allies to say the world will be consuming resources, including energy, for the next century. If you care about human rights, if you care about environmental stewardship, reducing emissions, you should be drawing your rare earth minerals, your energy, your forestry products from Canada that is going to be a world leader that I think can be a differentiator for us. And the, the key thing that Mr. Trudeau doesn't have any private sector experience so he wouldn't have this context, I worked on Bay Street for a time. We would not have a corporate Canada without our heritage in natural resources. And I think we could we can leverage that now to have ESG leadership within resources. So, you know, the expertise we built in, in mining, finance, and exploration, I think we can use that, that strong global position to push for greener, uh, less carbon intense, higher corporate social responsibility, and, and really have the democratic world look to Canada for resources so that that is the ambition i see and i've spoken to large and small players um there's a lot of ambition to really make that happen and right now we're the only party in house of commons that supports that type of smart esg leadership and a, a smart lower carbon future without just shutting down whole swaths of the economy which mr trudeau's trying to do
1: So now I'm going to transition a bit just to some more fun and lighter questions. And so I'll start with you're traveling, you're crisscrossed. I, th- I, I thought those were the fun ones. Well, like, there's it's been some policy it's wrongs it's out there. Uh, like you. Yeah, yeah. But for the rest of us, I think we kind of enjoy the lighter stuff. Uh, but you're traveling across the country right now. You're eating a lot of different types of places. You're drinking at all different types of places. Is there one spot that you always look forward to going to, to or have you discovered on the campaign?
2: Well, there's one spot I always love going to. And I finally got to share it with my 15-year-old daughter, Molly, because uh, we have a lot of the same likes and little indulgences, and that's White Spot here in BC. I know, I know it's, uh, um, you know, people might laugh, but I think the White Spot burger is, is one of Canada's good great burgers. And I got, when my wife worked on the Vancouver Olympics for CTV, I worked out of Vancouver with her for a time when I was at Procter & Gamble And I got hooked on White Spot. And so whenever I'm in BC, there's enough of them around, um, and my family's heard me talk about them, Mm -hmm. so I got to actually take the kids to to White Spot, and it was great.
1: That's a good one. Uh, You know, it's funny how there are these regional chains, so you Bears in Quebec, White Spot. I also, I just love trying them all, (laughs) and chasing the different fast casual varieties in our country.
2: No, it's... And the other favorite, uh, you know, not that I'm, I'm in BC, so I'm thinking of it. Um, cafe Artigiano is our favorite sort of cafe, coffee spot, independent in in Canada, and they're they're all over BC. And my wife and I really got hooked on them during the Vancouver Olympics. So whenever we're here, there's one by the airport. We usually swing by for uh, for these. Yeah, and they're regional, right? So you have to really go to these places to to get to appreciate them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and favorite sports team? Uh,
2: I am proud to be a Leafs fan. One of those loyal, dependable stalwarts in the GTA. Uh, I grew up watching the Leafs playing road hockey in the suburbs of Toronto, so I'm I'm loyal. Uh, I hope that my son and I will be able to watch, uh, and, and Molly as well, uh, a cup at some point in the future, but there hasn't been one in my lifetime, but I'm forever hopeful.
1: I don't want to add too much editorial to that, but I think that's that's very good to hear, and I hope the exact same.
2: <laughs> for, for the record, and people know this because uh, it's upset my caucus, my backup team are the Jets. Uh, I lived in Winnipeg in the Air Force the year the first iteration of the Jets closed, and it was like the city had been punched in the guts. And I just loved it when the Jets returned, and it was like the skip and the step return to Winnipeg. So um, I... I persevered through the playoffs through them this year, but then they uh, they dropped off, too. So those were my my primary team and my backup. And uh, certainly the, the Jets with the Air Force Heritage, that's another reason I love them.
1: And we'll switch over to music. Is there an album that you'll never get sick of?
2: Um, I am an 80s uh, sort of new wave sort of junkie. So the the one album that I would probably listen to pretty regularly would be the Smith's Louder Than Bombs, which will date me and show a pretty niche, <laughs> niche music taste, but I hosted a radio show in university at, at Queens, I was at RMC, but I hosted the show on Queens, and there was always a bit of uh, Smith's and New Order and that sort of vintage, but that's a classic album, That it's a long play album too, so I I'd have that on the background from time to time.
1: That's a great pick. Very refined taste.
2: <laughs> I, I'm I'm a bit of a music file uh, from that, that era. I also like, you know, the the, the Canadian scene too. A lot of bands like Sloan and stuff that I played on the show. Really, really good talent here as well. So I'm very loyal to that sort of era and genre of, uh, of music.
1: That's great. And for the last question, you know, I was going through the platform, and the one policy that really stuck out to me was the GST holiday. And I was just wondering that if you're successful, do you have any big purchase that you want to make during the holiday? (laughs) Well, it's a very popular policy,
2: our GST holiday. And as you know, it has to be used in store. So bricks and mortar. We don't want, you know, uh, online purchases. We want some of the retailers that have been struggling. So for me, probably because of the time of year, I love going to mastermind toys to try and find really neat things for the kids. Uh, so that would probably be it. Go and find some really neat, innovative toys. My son Jack is 10. He's got a really creative mind and Molly loves, you know, wildlife and animals and nature. And, and so probably go there with some, some gifts in mind. And yeah, the nice little break at the end of the year will be a, a nice little way to drive a bit more retail, retail traction
1: you speak speaking my language. My childhood was me going to Mastermind toys, looking at all the cool stuff there, the rocks, the Legos, everything, and then have my mom tell me that we can't get any of it until in December. And so uh, I am very, very supportive of that. Uh, and I'm sure your kids will be too.
2: No, well, listen, let me ask you, let me turn the tables. What, what's going to be your big purchase for the GST holiday in December?
1: Well, I think the best thing about it is it's in December. And so, you know, obviously, there's all the Christmas gifts that we'll have to get. My parents love tennis, and so usually I get them tennis-themed uh, Christmas gifts, so probably uh, a new racket for my dad, uh, a new tennis skirt for my mom, something along those lines.
2: Very cool. And you can go into a sporting life or a Canadian tire or wherever you want and uh, and do it. I, I think I think it'll be a great way to sort of kickstart it at sort of end of the year retail boom because there has been some money on the sidelines. And if we can encourage people to help local retailers, that was it, the second hook to this is not only giving people a bit of a break at a time of inflation, but we're uh, we're directing it to the to the mom and pops, to the to the local chains, to the to the bricks and mortars who've who've had a tough year and a half.
1: Well, sir, thank you so much. That's all the questions I have. But I really do appreciate you taking the time, and I'm sure our, our readers and listeners will really appreciate this interview. So Thank you again.
2: It's been great to summit the peak with you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Brad. You can trademark. Take care. Thank you. Bye.
2: Okay. Cheers, man. Bye.